been studying or even preaching or teaching on. Um, 10, 21, yeah, 10 years ago this summer, Kim and I moved from uh, Yukon River Village to Anchorage, and uh, the Lord provided a house in our budget that we could afford, which was limited. And uh, to just cut to the point, it was a dump. I mean, it was um, good things were, it was built by missionaries who we knew, um, survived the 64 earthquake, but it was pretty much built on a missionary budget, which before the earthquake was not a lot of money. Um, And it was a mess. I mean, it was just a wreck. So we had the understanding with the mission, a different mission who owned it, that I would do work and do refurb work, and we could kind of live there as long as we wanted, as long as we improved the place. And um, so I did for several years. And then that mission went through leadership changes, and then I was told they were going to sell it, so I kind of lost my whole mojo on remodeling somebody else's house and then time went by and then kind of got back in the saddle on that again and with the same kind of understanding and then um, what relates to all of this right now is this past week I was notified in a very cold informal way that our rent was going up and um but I was still free to do work on the house. Yeah, well, that's kind of how I felt, you know. And they do compensate me for my time on the house, but it's far more advantageous to one party than another. I'll just put it that way. So, according to our passage today, I promptly murdered my brother, who'd be your brother in the Lord as well. You don't know him, but probably. Um, Yes. Angry, was not very complimentary, um, was, uh, I wish I could say righteously angered, but it was kind of not really as righteous as it really needed to be to fall into that category. So, all that to say, um, when you want to learn God's word and you want God to be actively at work in your life, and I pray that's everybody in this room. Uh, he's just kind of like waiting on you sometimes. You know what I mean? (laughs) And so he drove home the importance of what we're going to talk about today because I was the first and greatest offender. So, Lord, um, that also is my prayer. Thankful to you. Thank you for your grace, your love, your mercy, your forgiveness. Thank you, Holy Spirit of God, that you work in us to open our minds to understand the, in some ways, mysterious truth of your word. Um, And, Lord Jesus, grateful that you are our purpose. You are everything. You're why we're here. So, Lord, I pray this morning uh, that you would speak to us. We are needy people. We need to hear from you, and we really need to get that resolve to apply your word and your truth to our life. As our two brothers have already shared today, be glorified, I pray, in Christ's name. Amen.
Yes. Um, I can, yes. This means, yeah. Thank you. And I will, oh man, I can't even see my shirt to clip it. Okay, w w would that help? Yep. And please just go like this if I need to start speaking louder. Isn't it amazing that the Lord could speak to 5,000 people without this kind of stuff? And, and, you know, I mean, realistically speaking, probably not everybody heard every word, but that's kind of the context today. It's the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. And uh, Jesus had begun preaching and teaching and demonstrating his divine power through doing miracles. And so that's kind of where we're at. And so he was talking to a huge crowd of people, and he didn't have a lapel mic. They probably didn't even have lapels on the robes. I don't know. I don't know what that was like. But um, so our context, quick overview, Matthew is written by, um, by the way, if you have this, feel free to go ahead of me and fill it in. Because honestly, this is for your benefit. Um, so, you know, my hope, Spencer's hope, Tom's hope, Steve's hope is that we all grow in our love in the word, love of the word, not because it's just the Bible, but it's his word. I mean, that's what you were saying. It's his word and it's a gift to us. So we got to grow in our knowledge and in our competence in handling the word. And that's also what I'm about today. So hopefully you can look through that and realize, okay, I know who the author is. It's Matthew, who's Levi, who's a tax collector, who understands about governments and rules and kingdoms. Uh, the audience, people, all the group right there out there on Sermon on the Mount, the setting, anticipation of the coming king. Um, and that's evidenced by the Magi who came when Jesus was born three decades earlier. And it's like, where's the king who was born? So they lived in a time of expectancy. I would say above and beyond our expectancy of seeing the whole COVID thing just become finished and done away with, Lord willing, if we get to that point. Uh, but we're all happy that improvements being made there. Well, well, they had that expectancy of a king to come. We a little bit have expectancy of finding out, well, is it Dunbar or is it Bronson? I forget the name of the guy that we may have voted for. But anyway, yeah, but that expectancy, right? It's like, okay, who's going to be mayor? And then because we know there's stuff tied to that, right? Yeah. And so that kind of gives you, depending upon where you're at with that, it gives you expectancy on, okay, what's this going to mean? Well, imagine them, they're waiting for a king to come and deliver them from the Romans. Huge expectancy. Uh, I read through the... The Beatitudes, and I'd encourage you to read through them. Blessed, the word blessed, makarios, means happy, but not the worldly happy. It's not the happy where I'm entitled to be happy and to live my best life now. I'm entitled to that. It's not that kind of happy at all. It's an inner, almost euphoric kind of happy thing that's completely unrelated to COVID or traffic jams or your bank account. It's an inner joy inner just like yeah and I think some of us have experienced that kind of happiness for the last 14 months 15 months 
If you haven't, man, I encourage you, take all of this to heart. Take it to heart. Because there's the, the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of God now, and fulfillment coming. Because, just because we hang around it doesn't mean we're actually in it. Just like the people all around Jesus in this setting. There were disciples, committed believers that Jesus called to himself, but he was speaking to everybody. And there was a a whole bunch of people that were showboating. Some were just wanting all kinds of freebies. Some were rubbernecking curiosity seekers. And we kind of have the same things going on around us. And a lot of what's called Christian, I think, is represented there. We need to know that we are in the kingdom. And Jesus gave these indicators, poor in spirit, which means spiritually poor, which means I understand my spiritual poverty and I can't fix it, right? Kind of like what you were sharing. One solution. So there's no reason for me to be proud about who I am as a Christian. All I did, as our brother used to say, is bring my sin to my conversion. That's all I did. Um, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Mourn over sin. I mean, we have a weekly opportunity to say, Lord, forgive me. I don't even deserve to look up toward you. But your grace has provided your blood and your body. And you died for me. And you have called me from darkness into light. That's it. So that's the mourning. The meek, the hunger and thirst for righteousness. Use this as a self-test. Are you kind of okay with things for the most part? Or are you like, Lord, I'm sinful. Even now I have the Spirit of God and your truth. And I still hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I see it around me. And I hunger and thirst for righteousness. And when will it come, Lord? Come quickly. That's what a kingdom subject would feel. And you just keep on going. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. That's a good selfish motivator. You want mercy? Give it. Show it. You want forgiveness? Jesus taught in prayer, right? Forgive us as we forgive others. Another good selfish motivator. I'm just saying, it's there. So forgive. I mean, I want to be forgiven. So forgive others. The pure in heart, the peacemakers, and if, you, if you're doing all that stuff, you'll be persecuted. Absolutely, positively guaranteed. And if you haven't been yet, it's right around the corner. It's right around the corner. It, it doesn't take a prophet to see where we are going in our Western society. And those who will live like this and be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ and his word, the stakes in this, if I can use an ugly, worldly kind of analogy, the stakes in this game we are playing is going up. And it's going up because the Lord wants his people to love him, and the Lord wants his people to desire him. And we're in the middle of a whole bunch of toys and games and distractions and fun, and I'm just going to speak for him. That's not what he saved us for. He wants us to eagerly desire his return. And that's hard to do if we're having a good old time in modern America. So my opinion is 
get ready. Learn what you need to do. Develop the discipline. Develop the inner godly character, the hunger and thirst, the dependence on God. Because this, this, the cost of being a true believer are just going to increase. I mean, there's people in other countries that die for their faith. I would say there's probably some in this country. We just don't hear about it because we have so many liberties. But there are people who've laid down their life for the Lord in a setting here or there or somewhere. I would assure you of that. So, that's where we're at. So who has blessed those people? Salt and light. In that next passage, Jesus is talking about purpose. Salt. Don't lose your saltiness. It's worthless. Salt is worthless if it don't taste salty. Light. There's no reason to have a light and then cover it all up. And Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Your purpose is the light of the world. Don't cover it up. He wants to shine his great and glorious gospel through you to the people around you. It will bring persecution. It will come at a cost. It just, one plus one equals two. And then at the bottom of this first page, R is greater than S plus P equals K-O-H. Now, I know somebody's figured that out, right? It's not that hard. So who wants to bravely say, oh, I know what that means. Come on. Anybody? Really? Did I stump all of you? Kingdom of heaven. Okay. So if R greater than S plus P, what would that be? Yeah. It's, what is it, verse 520? For I tell you, Jesus says, unless your righteousness, R, exceeds, greater than, that of the scribes, little s, and Pharisees, capital P, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So your righteousness has to be greater than the scribes and the Pharisees to enter the kingdom of heaven. It must be. And in context, those were the guys who had it all together. They were the righteous ones. They were the ones who looked good, talked good, everybody thought good. And Jesus, as he wonderfully does through the Gospels, just blows their mind and blows all their expectations and everything that they think is correct. And he says to a bunch of fishermen and prostitutes and tax collectors along with Pharisees and everyday people unless your righteousness your rightness like morally rightness or right relationship is another way to think of it your relationship with God must be right so unless that exceeds the best of the best you're sunk and that's a warning for, for us as well. Now, so I'm not misunderstood. There are none righteous. Not even one. He who seeks to be justified by the law will be judged by the law and condemned through the law because only Jesus could fulfill the law, which he goes on to just say next. So, I don't want to be confused thinking I'm preaching some kind of works gospel or a moral kind of gospel. 
works, morality, all those things come after I'm born again by putting my faith in the gospel, in the Lord, and I'm born again, and I have the Spirit of God and the teaching the Word of God to then live as God wants me to live. I, wait a minute. Didn't, wasn't somebody just talking about that? Was it you or you? Or both of you? Right? That's what it's about. And people get it mixed up because they think, no, man, i got to try harder. i got to be better. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. The gospel is repentance with faith. Faith in what he did. I repent because I become spiritually poor. I understand I'm a mess. I'm a, as my daughter in North Carolina would say, I'm a hot mess. And I can't fix it. So I call upon Christ to save me. And I intentionally make that decision to repent. To turn from the way I lived. That's what everything is all about. How am I doing? Okay, so Matthew 521 through 26. I will read that from the ESV. Jesus said, right after he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And now he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, there's about six sayings right in this, the rest of this chapter where Jesus says, you've heard it said, this is what you know, this is what has been taught, but I say to you, and he had just said earlier, he didn't come to destroy the law, he didn't come to throw out the Old Testament, he came to fulfill it. So what you're reading in this whole, in this chapter, but in this whole Sermon on the Mount is Jesus bringing them back to the truth of the Old Testament. Yeah. What they should have done. What, how it should have been. How it should have been understood. So that, and that's very important. He doesn't just say, forget the Old Testament, man. We're Christians and it's all New Testament. Yeehaw! No. He's like, the New Testament is the fulfillment, the explanation of the Old Testament. Okay, so he says... Uh, you've heard it said, but I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother or brother or sister will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, different versions have different translations in here. Some have raka. Some, you know, the order kind of changes a little bit. And it's because how they've translated it in the different versions. When you have something like that, my advice is always go with the obvious. You know, don't get hung up on, well, one says, you know, judgment twice, or one says counsel, and then the Supreme Court, or go with what's obvious. Okay, so he says, what? Angry, you're liable to judgment. Well, judgment is the same word as judgment he used in 21 where it said, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. In the Old Testament, Jesus, who's uh, completing or fulfilling the law, in the Old Testament, it said, if you commit a murder, you die. It was capital punishment. It wasn't like a, you know, a prolonged kind of court thing. They just found out the facts. You committed murder, you would be stoned or whatever. 
It was capital punishment. But here they don't say that. So he's quoting, in the first part, he's quoting what they knew, what they were familiar with. I say to you that everyone, or he says, you have heard, you shall not murder, and whoever murders is liable to judgment. He says, well, if you're angry with your brother, you're liable to judgment. That kind of would have been me about three days ago. But I say to you, everyone angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or calls him fool or airhead or knucklehead or, or dummy or... It's a derisive, ridiculing comment. And, you know, it, it's not the... I could put my arm around my beloved grandson who's here right now and say, I just love you, knucklehead. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about, you knucklehead? What are you thinking? He's more like the way I would talk to somebody who cuts me off on the highway. That's what he's talking about. You idiot! There's a, it's a stop sign. You ran the light. You know, you just totaled my car. What's the matter with you, bonehead? That's what he's talking about. And you got to understand the context. Scribes and the Pharisees had all of that hatred and lust and all that stuff inside. They just didn't act it out. And so they would strut their stuff in their robes and say, see how righteous we are? We are God's favored people. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 it's not about the outside, it's about the inside. It's about what's in your heart. And if you have hatred in your heart, y'all are a murderer. You just had not killed anybody yet. So in God's eyes, in a lot of ways, you've committed a similar crime. Especially as as uh, relates to self-righteousness. Is that making sense? What you do in your heart, that's where God sees what you do in your heart. So he gives you these three examples. And, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes you read through stuff like like this Matthew chapter 5, and you're like, okay, Lord, help me. How is all this related? Sometimes it seems disjointed. Because the next thing he goes into, verse 23, so... If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Okay. Um, That, we're going to pause right there, but think on that for a moment. It's like, they would go to the temple It was the kind of junior varsity temple. It wasn't the original full meal deal temple. But they would go to the temple. They would offer sacrifices. And Jesus, right here in this context, is saying, if you're on your way to the temple to offer this sacrifice, to do this great outward worship of the living God, Yahweh, and you remember, oh, man, Brad's got something. Yeah. It's like, I still haven't paid him that 20 bucks, and he needs it, because he lost his wallet, or, you know, whatever the thing is. And Brad's kind of getting kind of tired of me, because it's like, Greg, I've asked you three times, you know, I need that money. I should stop and go see Brad and be reconciled. He's talking about people on their way to the temple to give an offering. That tells you 
how important this is. Okay, um, we're going to talk a little bit about opinions, convictions, belief, and truth. Because I'm not the oldest person here, but I'm kind of old, right? Can I get an amen, Lincoln? Kim says no. I'm old. Um, and it's been shocking to me in the last, especially the last 20 years, to see how these four words, principles, concepts, have been so mangled. So, uh, Joe, Joel, if you would, could you put up the opinion? And you, you can write these down if you want or not. Um, you know, when I do something like this, I, I usually go to like uh, dictionary.com or something. So I'm using kind of a common definition. If you disagree with one of the definitions you see here for one of these, conviction, opinion, conviction, belief, or truth, don't, you don't have to email me and correct me. Okay, I just understand, go with what's obvious here. Uh, this isn't a language class. Well, it's God's language, but you get the idea. Okay, so an opinion. A belief or judgment that rests on grounds, keyword, insufficient to produce complete certainty, a personal view or attitude. Opinions are completely subjective, and they're of very low importance. For example, it's my opinion that the best team in the National Basketball Association is, yeah, that's my girl, huh? the Lakers. Okay, that's subjective. It's not important. You know, it, it's shocking when you see in the parking lot of a, of a sports game, the Dodgers or something like that, and people kill each other, literally. It's like, really? It's a game. And you pick your favorite team. You know, you, we don't kill people over this. It's an opinion. Or, I like chocolate better than vanilla. Actually, I'm going to work you guys over as we go forward because these are both going to become truths. Because chocolate's better than vanilla and the Lakers are the best. But you're entitled to your own opinion. Okay, so, but the key is, there's not sufficient grounds. It's not a fact, right? I mean, you could say, well, Chevys are better than Fords or whatever. We watch politics on the news all the time. They manipulate the facts, don't they, to back up their opinion. And so now it's gotten so crazy with social media and the, the distortion of truth. You don't even know what's what anymore. Classic examples, this whole COVID thing. If you're looking for the facts, have fun. Because we have become a society where we decide what we want to be true, opinion, and then we look for facts to back it up. That is a major thinking error. And it's like the plague in West, Western culture. And regardless of where you stand on COVID or where you stand on politics or where you stand on anything, our society is in the midst of absolute turmoil because of that. 
people take opinion and they want to move it on up the chain here. So, opinion. It's subjective. It's of low importance. Almost, I would say, no importance, except to me. Uh, and it's completely individual. I mean, I'll find another Laker fan somewhere, but, it, you know, it's like it's a non-issue. It doesn't matter. If you like the Warriors, that's your problem. <laughs> They're terrible this year. Okay, second one, conviction. A fixed or firm belief. Okay, so opinions can lead us then, these are all kind of interrelated. So my opinions about things then can lead to conviction, not conviction of sin, which actually that's kind of related, but it's so a, a conviction is a fixed or firm belief. Convictions are variable. They're influenced by other things, by faith or belief. They're also influenced by opinions. They're subjective. It's my conviction. And they're important, but they're kind of moderately important. Okay? Somebody give me an example of a conviction. <laughs> yes, abs total abstinence from alcohol. Perfect. That's a conviction. Now, there are people who say, nope, the Bible says. What does the Bible say? Jesus turned water into wine. That's what my Bible says. Now, it, drunkenness doesn't fall under conviction, right? Because the Bible's clear about drunkenness. That's not good. So that's not my personal conviction. But to completely abstain from alcohol, that would be a conviction. You follow me? It's my conviction that the Lakers will win the championship if their two big players are healthy. That's my fixed or firm belief. Okay, uh, now the next one, belief. This one is huge, because another word for belief is faith. Yeah, faith and belief. They're like interchangeable. Belief, confidence, faith, trust, confidence in the truth or existence of something not immediately susceptible to rigorous proof. That's why we live by faith. If we live by just opinion, man, you're going to get thrown all over the place. But we live by faith. Now, some people would say, well, we live by the truth. Well, yeah, but in the context that we live in, it's not immediately provable, right? I mean, wouldn't you all agree? God has given reasonable proofs, but we live in a time of faith where faith is required. We believe one day we will see him face to face. Amen. I have never seen him. One day, I'm going to see him Amen. face to face. And I'm going to be like, Lord. Well, first of all, I'll probably be on my face. But then I'll be like, I, ha I had no way of picturing what you'd be like. But I didn't think it'd be this. I'm, that's what I'm anticipating. That's belief. Okay, belief is still subjective, right? It's not objective. Gravity is pretty much objective. You know, if you think gravity is subjective, just take a step off the roof and we'll see if it applies to you, right? So, so belief is subjective. It's very important. Opinions aren't important at all, other than I like what I like. Belief is a 
extremely important. It's because it's faith. It comes from our understanding of truth combined with conviction, opinion, learning. Belief is huge. And, but you've got to understand the differences in these things. Because people will say, you'll be like, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Don't mean to jump ahead to the last one. But, and people will say, well, that's your opinion. No, it's not. My opinion is chocolate's better than vanilla. This is my belief that Jesus is the way and you need his salvation. That's, not, that's way more than an opinion. People just want to water it down. Oh, that's your opinion. Political debates. Ah, that's your opinion. No, it's not. I got a million stats to tell you that you know pigs fly. And it's like, well, that's because you manipulate the stats. But, you know, belief, what you believe is essentially important. Because if you believe wrong, you're in trouble. I think that is so awesome. She's crocheting over here, Kim. <laughs> Kim always wants to knit, but I hope you don't mind the pause. But sometimes she feels like, well, I don't know, maybe I'll have to think too much or whatever. So I don't mean to embarrass you. You're awesome, and I think that's totally cool. Okay, truth. Conformity with fact or reality, gravity, for instance, a verified or indisputable fact, proposition, principle, or the like. Okay, that's truth, right? Gravity is a truth. It's objective. It's not my interpretation of gravity. It's a fact. And this is where things get kind of tricky because... Truth is not relative. We live in a time when everybody wants to say, oh, it's relative. That's your truth. You know, my truth is, you know, when I die, I'll come back as a butterfly. And, you know, I'll just be in this gorgeous flower bed forever. And it's like, uh, no, that's probably not true. That's maybe your opinion. So truth, it's, I would say as far as importance, it's beyond importance because it's true. God is God. <laughs> you know, truth is truth. Real truth, not what people say is true. Real truth is truth. That, that, I mean, it's beyond importance. It's not subject to my opinions. It's not relative. Okay? Um, so, so much of the turmoil related to COVID in the last... 14, 15 months, is this getting all, all messed up? And so we can have an opinion, but we act on it like it's a conviction or belief or even truth. A lot of people, and I don't mean just in the context of our church, go immediately from opinion to truth. Now, truth is divisive, right? I mean, the truth is, it is divisive. You're in or out. Jesus is the way. He, he said, you know, I didn't come to bring, you know, peace. I came to bring a sword to divide a man from his wife or a, a son from his father. You, you know what I'm talking about? Truth will always be divisive. It's inescapable. You, you can't, you can't get around that. 
But when we take something like an opinion and then make a truth out of it, okay, we're dividing over opinions, not truth. I'm just saying. Now, when Jesus, okay, back to the Sermon on the Mount, when he starts talking about all this mind-blowing, revolutionary kind of stuff, he's trying to change the way people think. Do you believe that? Do you believe Jesus wants to change the way you think? You need to. Because in every way that your thinking is not perfectly in alignment with the truth of the word, it needs to be changed. And we live in a world, Romans 12, the world pressing in on us, trying to convince you and doing, for the most part, a very effective job of convincing you and me that my opinions are hugely important. You ever get that feeling? Oh, you should, because that's the war. The war that's going on. I'm not even on social media. But it is to convince everybody that your opinions are hugely important. When I'm telling you, your opinions don't really matter. You know, you can like the Warriors, or you can like Vanilla. That's your loss, but you can like it. Your opinions don't really matter. And they should never be a point of division. Ever. Right? And yet churches always divide over stuff like the color of the carpet. Or, you know, whatever. They do. That's what we do. Because we let the devil get us out of focus. And we think, hey, that's my opinion. It's my conviction. I can't go against my conscience. And it's like, um, so your conscience is perfect? Because mine's not. I have the Holy Spirit in me. And I, I, don't, I don't do it right all the time. You don't do it right all the time, right? Give me an amen, bro. Amen. All right, yeah. So our conscience, and even worldly people will say, well, no, I've got I to gotta obey my conscience, and my conscience is such and such. I'm in the jail every day. You know, I'm here to tell you, your conscience is not perfect. It's not perfectly effective. So Jesus wants to change the way you think. And you read through the Beatitudes especially, and he wants you to grasp and, and embrace the idea that I must be spiritually poor to partake in the kingdom. Now that runs against the grain today. It's like, no man, believe in yourself. Confident. You're good. We're good. We're all good. As we go to war and the world starves and people get sick and die. But we're good. It's like, no, that's humanism. Jesus wants to change how you think. If you think, you know, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. I'm just going to say, he wants you to mourn over sin. He wants you. It's in here. He wants you to be heartbroken, first of all, over your own. And not just a one-off thing. And It's like, okay, I'm a Christian. I'm born again. It's all good now. A continual weekly evaluation. He wants that. I don't think I'm out of line saying it. And he wants you to come to this and think, God, your grace is amazing. Your your grace is amazing. I just violated this whole thing about murder and anger and all this stuff. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I'll take the bread. I mean, that's how we should be. He wants you to realize your opinions don't matter. The truth 
matters. And we work through our convictions to focus on the truth. And we don't even separate fellowship on our convictions, I don't think. You know, one uh, considers one day more holy than the rest. And others consider each day equally holy. That's conviction. But can't we still worship together? Yeah, I would hope so. Okay. Last page. We're just going to wrap it up. So James, that verse there, I'd encourage you to look it up, write it down. James, the brother of Jesus, imagine what he had seen. First of all, he didn't think his brother was Messiah. Then he kind of works all that stuff out. And then he lives through the first generation of the church, or initially, if the first part. Can you imagine the junk he saw? When, I mean, he figured it out. It's like, my brother is Messiah. He ain't like me. He's different. And he probably saw kind of wishy-washy Christians and people who are Jews, and then they're Christian, they go back to being a Jew, and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Context. So when you read the book of James and you think, man, James is a hardliner. That guy, you know, he just pulls out both guns and starts blasting. Well, yeah, I, I probably would have if I was James. He figures this out. His brother's Messiah. So he says stuff like, you know, be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Don't deceive yourself. When we come here every Sunday, come hungry. Do whatever you have to do to learn and retain what is shared. Please. Or you will just continue on a path of mediocrity. And there are millions of professing Christians who are in the number one lane for mediocrity. We don't need that. The world is not changed by mediocrity. The world is changed by absolute commitment. The world is changed by us laying it down. James. Romans, I already mentioned that one. So, Jesus wants to change the way I think. Yes, no, maybe so. Be honest. I, I, there's a lot of things in my life I was like, maybe so, or the other place where I had that. I don't really care. If that's how you feel, the very best thing you can do right now is say, Lord, this ain't really happening with me. I, I I'm sorry. I know I should care, but I, I don't. Forgive me. Change me. Change my heart. Make me start to care. And I absolutely guarantee you in the name of the Lord Jesus, he will. Because this is his word. And if you pray his word, he works his word. So it's okay to not bat a thousand on everything. Just be honest. Say, Lord, I, I kind of feel like that's what I should be. But I'm not. So, and... You know, I, I haven't been able to pull it off yet, Lord. So you're going to have to do this. And I want you to do it. So now I'm going to finish with this. Because in the passage, it was about a relationship, right? That's how Jesus finished. You're on your way to church or on your way to the temple to offer your sacrifice. And you remember, you got a relationship problem. Your brother has something against you. You know, I haven't paid Brad back his money and he still hasn't got his wallet and he needs the money and I owe it to him. I need to stop what I'm doing. That has to take priority. I need to go fix it. That's exactly what he teaches there. So, I'm going to leave you with that. The relationship I need to restore is 
and I bet every one of us can probably think of at least one. If you want to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, this is your chance. Okay, what relationship needs to be restored? To fix it, and you don't have to answer this now, but answer it. Do this. Do it at home prayerfully if you want. To fix it, I will. What will you do to restore that relationship? doesn't matter if it's 90% raka, the fool, knucklehead. It doesn't matter if it's 90% over there and 10% here. It doesn't matter if it's 99% and 1%. It needs to be fixed. So you decide, what do I have to do to fix it? And then my last one, and to me this is the most important. To grow in my kingdom perspective, I will... Oh, that's awesome. See, my bro even fixes my spelling errors. You're awesome, brother. He's, isn't he awesome? I love that guy. He's awesome. Okay, to grow in my kingdom perspective, what will you do differently? Because the kingdom has come, not completely, but it, we're in it. He is the king. I'm a subject of the king. What will you do differently to continue to grow in that? And that will kill mediocrity in, in the faith. Absolutely guaranteed. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this powerful sermon on the mount. And um, we pray we would not be hearers only, but we, we would be doers. I pray, Lord, by your spirit, that you bring um, our opinions into proper perspective, that you give us convictions that are based on truth, that our belief, our faith would be purified. We would identify error and that it would be purified by your word and that would, we would be people who rejoice in the truth, who walk in the truth, whatever the cost. Be glorified through this body in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.